Good morning, everybody. It is the 30th of June, last day of the financial year. We have doubtless been in contact with anybody coming up to a resubscription at the end of the year. But for those of you listening who are not members, you have until midnight tonight to use the promo code EOFY21, EOFY21, to get yourself a bit of an end of financial year deal on a subscription. For all the rest of you lovely paying members, it is a fabulous end of the financial year. We've been up 69 points at one point. That's on the back of Wall Street, up nine points. The SPY futures up 33. We're actually up 44 at the moment, but the market is ramping into the end of the year. It sometimes falls over. It sometimes rips up like this. It's an end of financial year effect, I think, because the drivers from overseas weren't really that strong. At the end of the financial year, there's a thing called window dressing, which is not really allowed. But it is thought that some institutions, in order to make their end of year and end of financial year reports look as good as possible, will tend to touch up a few share prices of the stocks they hold in order to get them to outperform a little bit at the end of the year. It is, of course, not really legal and it just creates a rod for their back if things get pumped up at the end of the year. They only have to pump them up at the end of the next quarter and so on and so on. So any sensible institution wouldn't bother doing anything like that. So it mainly happens probably in smaller companies not big companies companies that institutions can have an impact on the price without a large amount of money so a bit of shenanigans at the end of the year usually what happens at the end of the year reverses immediately the end of the year is over so a good day today generally suggests a fairly shabby day tomorrow but who knows as we do close the year the market is up can you believe it 20 yes you can believe it it's up 26 percent year on year which of course was from the depths of the pandemic it's the best year in 34 years tom tells me and just highlights let's say the best financial year and it just highlights the opportunity of events like the pandemic and what an important pivot point market stress creates and highlights as well the need to occasionally sell the market so you can take advantage of the dips when they occur anyway up 26 percent for the year it's actually a good week as well we're up a couple of percent and a good quarter up around seven and a bit percent in the short term iron ore down 2.7 percent today but bhp and rio are up two percent or so bitcoin's up five percent oil up a little bit gold down 17 dollars gold sector not too bad today but it is down when the market is up a good u.s consumer confidence number overnight highest since the pandemic telstra the feature today up 4.2 percent they have sold 49.9 percent of their telstra infraco towers business for 2.8 billion to the future fund and a couple of other big funds and saying that they will distribute that 2.8 billion to shareholders at some point probably through a share buyback next year it also highlights how funds like the future fund and the commonwealth superannuation corporation and sun super look at investment as 
very long term. And if they can lock in guaranteed regulated returns, they have the firepower to do so. AGL disappointing today, down 6.4%. They have announced the demerger of the company into two separate companies, Excel Energy and AGL Australia. Travel stocks doing okay today. We've got things like Webjet up 2.3%, corporate travel up 2% despite all the lockdowns. There seems to be this assumption that we are going to get over this in weeks or months, but quickly either way. Philip Lowe speaking on a panel. I haven't seen any headlines, though. He obviously hasn't said anything dramatic. Main focus is on the US jobs numbers on Friday. A couple of small stock things. Levis is up 6% or so as Brett Blundy sells 62% of Honey Bidet to the Playboy franchise in the US. And they also own 40% of Levisa. And Reckon is up 17% today after the Novati Group, I probably pronounced that wrong, bought 15% of the company. Right, moving on. I have been talking about the one-stock portfolio endlessly for the last couple of weeks and the $12 million man story. I've put that on Livewire today. I've also invited Livewire readers to put their one-stock portfolio stocks in the comments on the bottom of the article. So you might go to Livewire, have a look at the $12 million man article, and for a few more ideas, all of which, by the way, I've recorded on our spreadsheet, so we'll see how people go over time. Uh, You can go to Livewire and see the stocks that other people have picked out. There are about 20 of them so far. On a strategy summary today, no change to strategy. We asked for a quiet bull market at Christmas last year, and we have had it for the last six months. And as we hit the end of the financial year, have a look at the chart on the strategy or in the strategy section today of the ASX 200. It makes the point that we are clearly at the top end of the trading range of the market. And no wonder we're seeing some articles like Fundies warn of imminent market correction. And will there be a crash? There is probably more clicks to be had out of fear than greed at this level of the market. Have a look at the chart, top end of the trading range. And also you'll see on that chart that the market is overbought on RSI, which is Relative Strength Index. If you don't know what that is, you can click through to an article about that in the strategy section. But we are overbought and there's been a little RSI sell signal on a weekly basis, rarely overbought on a weekly basis, a a non-volatile big index like the ASX 200. It's the first time it's been overbought since mid-2019. And as I say, a bit of a sell signal. That's not enough to get us to change strategy sections. Uh, settings. RSI is the sort of technical signal that you use in conjunction with other signals. So on its own, it's a bit of a signpost that things are a bit overbought, but it's not an instruction to sell. So we're not changing things. Things are still going well, but the air is thinner at altitude, and that means it's a lot easier to pass out. So bad news tends to affect the market more at altitude. We are at altitude. But as always, we will wait for it, not predict it for the moment. Quite relaxed about the market. Ben did some numbers on the All Ordinary spreadsheet this morning. There are 2,666 broker recommendations on the top 500 stocks in the All Ordinary's index, and interestingly, about 1,500 
100 of those are buy recommendations or strong buy recommendations. There are zero strong sell recommendations and only less than 10%, probably 8% are sell recommendations. So I've got an article in the strategy piece today about Maxwell who fell off the back of a boat. The article's called Why Brokers Say Sell. And the beginning of the article is quite interesting. I used to work in 1990 for a stockbroker. And we had the number one rated media analyst. We're in the UK, obviously. And he had just written a quite brilliant and entertaining piece of research on Maxwell Communications. And the research lifted the lid on Maxwell, one of the most powerful media moguls in the country. And he exposed the company for what it was, which was an opaque listed plaything with corporate governance standards that would curl the toes of the British establishment that invested in it. And essentially pointed out that it was bust. So our number one rated media analyst was pointing that the pointing out that the king, Maxwell, had no clothes, which was all good except for one unfortunate thing. The analyst couldn't contain his own wit and wit is not something that you are rewarded for in research. Take note, broker analysts. He titled the research about Maxwell Communications and he titled the research Can't Recommend a Purchase with bold capital letters at the front of each of those words if you get it. Anyway, Maxwell was not happy. The broker we worked out at the time had done corporate deals with Maxwell Communications and Maxwell rang up and insisted he be sacked and he was even though of course it turned out he was right and Maxwell fell off the back of a boat and disappeared forever leaving his sons to pick up the flack for a massive 440 million dollar misappropriation of funds from the company pension fund an ignominious end for Maxwell and although he got sacked the number one media analyst was immediately picked up by another broker on a much bigger salary and has not looked back And that article leads into reasons that brokers don't say sell. And you can click through to that from the strategy piece today. Meanwhile, I was on the golf course last weekend with a chap called Simon. Simon, you have not bought a subscription yet, you freeloader. I'm sure you will one day. Maybe we'll match play nine holes for a subscription. Who knows? Anyway, Simon mentioned at the weekend a few stocks that he has held that initially did very well, but he now held at a loss. And if you look at the charts in the strategy piece, you'll see the stocks. One was Meridian, another one NRW Holdings or NWH is the code, another one's Orica. And it's clear that Simon, like many of you, think investment is about buying forever, which is that Warren Buffett quoting automaton view of investment, which is you can have to buy a stock and then be happy to shut the market for 10 years. Well, of course, it's utter rubbish. The stock market is about making money in any stock on any time frame you can, long or short. And of course, every investment starts out in the hope that it's going to be a long-term investment and that the stock keeps going up forever. And if it does, it will be a long-term investment. But what if it doesn't? And clearly, Simon doesn't have a post-purchase discipline or mechanism. He, like many of you, will have a lot of consideration about what to buy. But after he's bought it, he just sits on it until something prods him to do something about it. But in all 
all these cases, he's done nothing about it. So I imagine there are the majority of long-term, don't-disturb-me, income-focused, conservative investors who do the same thing, who don't have a mechanism to get them out, have an inability to sell. And this is one of the worst traits of individual investors, the inability to sell. And it comes from taking the stock market too seriously. I think I think we all need to relax and see the stock market, even, even if you are a non-trading, income-focused, conservative investor, see the stock market as a means to make money and not a relationship with a stock that you can't cheat on, you can't sell. You have to use the stock market, not allow those useless human traits of loyalty and pride and prejudice and denial get in the way. You have to be Spock cold, logical, unemotional, and focused on the goal, whatever that might be. Of course, it might not be to make money, but in most cases, just to make money. It might be to enjoy a hobby, engage yourself intellectually, meet people, do interesting things, exercise the mind, whatever your goal is. You need to pursue that, and that does not involve being loyal, proud, or prejudiced about stocks. And one well-worn way to combat this inability to sell and the invasion of human weakness is to use stop losses. It's something we used to write about a lot in the newsletter. I must have 10 articles in the back end of our article section about stop losses. So I have put some of the detail in the newsletter, in the strategy piece today, about stop losses. What are they? And some some of the different mechanisms, like a flat percentage, 2% rule, lines on charts, rolling stop losses, volatility-based stop losses have a read. But the main stop loss I would introduce to some people, and Simon had never heard of this, was a rolling stop loss. And it surprised me he'd never heard of it, which tells me that a lot of you have never heard of it, despite the fact we used to go on about it years ago, go on and on about it. We were known for talking about stop losses. And the most popular stop loss is the rolling stop loss. And that is the idea that if you've got a stock you've bought at a dollar, you set yourself a stop loss cushion, say 10%. So initially you put it on your spreadsheet at a dollar and in the next column you put your stop loss level, which is say 90 cents. And you say, if it drops to 90 cents, I'll sell it. And that's a stop loss. But a rolling stop loss is if the next day it's gone up to a dollar and one cent, you move your stop loss up by a cent. Of course, the the golden rule of stop loss is you you never let them go down. You can only push them up. So when it goes to a dollar two, the next day you move your stop loss up to 92 cents. And when it gets to a dollar 10, your stop loss will be 10 cents. And at that point, you've locked in almost, assuming the market doesn't gap, you've locked in almost a guaranteed profit. And you won't do what Simon has done, which is allow Meridian to fall from $9 to $4.97, or NWH Holdings fall from $3.50 to $1.50, or Orica fall from $24 to $13. Because if you ran a 10% stop loss on that, on those, then you would have been out of Meridian at about $7.50. It's now $4.97. You would have been out of NWH Holdings at $3.20. It's now $1.50. And you would have been out of Orica at around $21, $22, and it's now 
dollars. So stop losses are just an idle discipline that take away all the emotion and may work for you. And as I say, there are different ways to set stop losses. If you got into it and enjoyed this sort of stuff, you would set volatility based stop losses. I explain those a little bit in the strategy piece today, which is instead of setting an arbitrary 10%, you set a multiple of average true range. I won't go through that in the podcast, but there are various different ways. And although this is something that hasn't worked for us in funds management, I have to tell you, because it creates too much activity. It takes you out of long-term stocks in the short term. And if you're not very disciplined, you never get back into them. So it doesn't work for some investors. But if you treat each individual holding as an individual holding, not as part of a portfolio, then you might find it helps, especially in volatile stocks. So read about that in the strategy piece today, stop losses. There is also a fabulous article in the newsletter today, which always went down extremely well with the newspapers and the money magazine. It's an article about making a loss, can't sell, how to sell. It's about a thought process or a few bullet points, about 10 bullet points. If you're, if you're on a loss in a stock, read these 10 bullet points and I guarantee by the, end, by the time you've got to the end of them, you will have been onto your trading screen and sold the stock. So if you're having trouble selling, have a read of that article. But the overriding core thing to say for me to say about stop losses is when it comes to controlling losses, anything is better than nothing. And don't worry about using exactly the right mechanism. There is no no right mechanism. Something will help more than nothing. And of course, if it doesn't work for you, you can always tweak it, change it or forget. Good. There we go. Solid end to the financial year. As I leave you, we haven't really moved much up 42. Dow futures up 22. You have a fabulous end of the financial year. And as I say, if you're not a subscriber, stop being cheap and use the promo code EOFY21 on our website before the end of the day. I will speak to you tomorrow.